chapter. Jensong. Symbiotic. Mumbled Brooke as she turned off her cell phone and walked into the waiting room of the major pharmaceutical company Jensum. Having just finished a quick update with Keiko, she felt the weight of the day settle upon her. Late night activity in NYC and sleep deprivation resulted in the lack of energy she felt today in her legs as she walked up to the secretary. The secretary confirmed her meeting and told her the CEO was running several minutes late and suggested she make herself comfortable. Muffins and coffee were available for the taking, but Brooke decided against it. She was already tired and didn't need either the lull of food or more caffeine to send her into a hyper frenzy. So she relaxed on an expensive leather chair and glanced at the ample supply of magazines. Of course, they were all medical and science related. One went so far as to boast of the company's massive profits in the previous year and its projections to exceed them in the current one. Several long minutes later, Brooke looked at her watch. Excuse me, she asked, interrupting the secretary's typing on her computer. Is there a problem? I've been waiting here for quite some time and I do have a busy schedule to keep. Brooke tried to sound cordial but couldn't hide her irritation. The secretary, not used to people being impatient when meeting with the CEO, flicked her finger, indicating she'd check into it, and picked up the phone to find out what the delay was. She made several phone calls, came to a disturbing conclusion, and then tried to put on her best face. This wasn't the first time her boss skipped out on a meeting without having the courtesy of informing anyone. Being familiar with the art of being left holding the bag, she told Brooke the CEO was unfortunately detained, but that the president of research and development was available to meet with her if she didn't wish to reschedule. Brooke agreed to talk to the R&D president. Within 10 minutes, a tall, handsome, middle-aged man entered the room and walked straight to the secretary. She pointed to Brooke, and the man turned around and smiled. Brooke was impressed. He was well-dressed and carried the presence of a professional. Never once did he lose eye contact. Hello, I'm Daryl Fletcher, President of Research and Development here at Jensung. He extended his hand. I must apologize for your wait. Brooke stood up and took his hand. Pleased to meet you. I do have another meeting with another company and would like to stay on schedule. So, I'm afraid we must make this short, she lied. By all means, again, I must apologize for the delay. We'll meet in the CEO's office to keep this short, he said. Yeah, I bet you always jump at the opportunity to sit behind his desk, Brooke thought as she followed him into the office. Something nagged her about Mr. Fletcher, but she couldn't put her finger on it at the moment. Maybe she'd figure it out the more she talked with him. With his back turned, she activated the digital recorder in her pocket. Ah, Mr. Fletcher said, as he relaxed in his CEO's chair. So, how can I help you? I'm sorry, but I didn't catch your name. Brooke sat down on the other side of the desk. Agent C. Cole Lee from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. She saw the slightest hint of shock and an even quicker cover-up. The secretary hadn't adequately updated him on what the meeting was about. And how can I help you, Agent C. Cole Lee? He said, a bit more refined. Brooke noticed the change building in him. What's he so afraid of? She thought. I have several questions about the fire at Iron Mountain. Would you be able to answer them? She finally asked. Yes, I'm sorry, but I didn't see any identification. Can I see your identification? Sure, no problem, Mr. Fletcher, she said. Now she definitely sure he was nervous about something. After showing him her identification, Brooke asked her first question. How was your company impacted by your loss of documents at Iron Mountain? We lost everything. Everything's gone. He said quickly. Duh. 
she thought. I see, she responded. Did you lose documents crucial to FDA inspections, current research projects, and or clinical studies? We are currently assessing the scope of our loss, Agency Coley. He obviously doesn't want to talk, since his answers are too short. What's he afraid of? She had to sweat this guy out, she thought. You are the president of research and development, are you not? Surely you must have an idea how the fire has. Why is the FBI here? He interrupted. Why are you asking Jen some questions about a fire that took place miles from here? Mr. Fletcher asked, rubbing his forehead. My God, he's sweating, Brooke thought. We're just talking to companies that have substantial business with Iron Mountain. It's common procedure to interview contacts from a company affected by unfortunate circumstance. You're more than welcome to view our report when we're done, Brooke said mechanically. Well, I don't think it'll be necessary. Mr. Fletcher paused. Is that all? Brooke revealed her patent smile, but to no avail, the man was close to the edge. Oh no, just a few more questions. Just a few more, Fletcher said, looking at his watch. Still smiling, she asked. Do you plan to continue using Iron Mountain as your primary site for data storage? What? Do you? I understand the question. He interrupted. I have no control over the company's policy for who they may use for storing data, he said hurriedly. Okay, but would you personally prefer not to use Iron Mountain? I'm interested in your opinion. Well, I guess not. Would you? Brooke laughed. Definitely not. Next question. Do you know of other pharmaceutical companies using Iron Mountain as their primary source of data storage? Mr. Fletcher shifted in the chair before answering. No, I'm not aware of other companies. Brooke nodded. She knew she had only a few seconds before he called off the meeting. Knowing Mr. Fletcher had had his fill of this interview, Brooke decided to go for the jugular. Call it instinct or a gut feeling, but there was something about Mr. Fletcher she couldn't put her finger on. Maybe Keiko was right after all when she said something about the fire didn't fit. Leaning closer to Fletcher, she maintained steady eye contact and then asked her question. Mr. Fletcher, how would you respond if you learned that this fire was an act of arson? I, I, it would be unsettling, said Fletcher with a hint of panic in his voice. He looked at his watch and quickly rose to his feet. I'm so sorry, Agent C. Coley, I must go. I'm late for another appointment. I hope I was, um, helpful. Fletcher moved swiftly to the door. The secretary will assist you, he said. With that, he was gone. Brooks stared at the door as it slowly returned to its closed position, leaving her alone in the office. She stood up, walked over to the secretary, and thanked her for her time. She also got Mr. Fletcher's business card before she left. Somewhere on the same floor, in an undisclosed room, the CEO of Jensung. Benson Rockford stared at the large monitor as Agent C. Cole Lee left his office. He slowly brought both hands to his head and rubbed it vigorously. The FBI was the last thing he expected, and the suggestion it could have been an act of arson bothered him more. The arsonist must have left some kind of evidence behind for the FBI agent to hint at this possibility. This is going to complicate things, Benson mumbled as he reached for a phone close to his hand and entered several numbers. Hello, this is Benson Rockford. The FBI is investigating the fire and visited my office. I was not there, of course, but they suggested the fire may have been an act of arson. Please advise. Benson hung up the phone and took a deep breath. Benson watched as the monitor changed cameras to maintain a continuous feed on Brooke and wondered how the situation was going to be handled. 
The last thing they needed was the United States government stumbling onto their clandestine operation. When the view shifted to a top-down view of Brooke in the main elevator, Benson turned up the volume to capture anything she would say, hoping she felt secure being alone in the elevator. Benson's phone vibrated. Yes, he said. Voice one from the secret, she all meeting responded. We're aware of the FBI investigation into the fire. There are no links to our operation. As long as you avoid contact with the agents, of course. What is the name of the agent? Agent Brooks E. Cole Lee, said Benson nervously. He didn't like the implication of what might happen to him if they felt he'd become expendable to the operation. One second. Benson looked back at the monitor. Brooke was approaching a vehicle in the underground parking lot and was about to open her door when she quickly looked in direction of the camera. Benson caught himself trying to move his head to not be seen and prevented himself from making such an idiotic move. It was a hidden camera and she obviously couldn't see him. Brooke stood there for a few seconds, looking directly at the area where the camera was before she turned and opened the door. Shortly afterward, the car pulled away. The monitor shifted to the guard at the parking lot entrance. Brooke's car pulled up to the gate, and she surrendered her visitor's pass and left. The monitor remained on the guard station until further commands of what to do next were given. Benson, said voice one. Agent C. Cole Lee is a low-level FBI agent not to worry about. Our sources tell us she's paired with an Agent Keiko Carter, a higher-level agent that would cause us concern. But she's currently away on another unrelated case. We'll look into this matter. Inform us immediately if you're contacted again by these two. The phone hung up before Benson could respond. He rubbed his forehead as he felt a headache slowly forming. But before he took care of it, he had to make sure Durrell kept his mouth shut. The work drove away from Jensung, but her mind was miles away from the pharmaceutical giant. Keiko didn't have time to go into details and only sketched out her meetings in North Dakota. Her meeting with the pastor left more questions than answers, especially with the last word from their meeting. Symbiotic. She saw a Starbucks in the distance and decided to pull over and grab a mocha latte grande. Once settled in a nice secluded corner, she set up her laptop, accessed the internet, and googled the word symbiotic. Brooke knew she couldn't keep up with Keiko in the sciences. At times, she even wondered why her friend hadn't chosen another field. She was way too smart and talented to be an FBI agent. So to keep up, she had to do more research on the subject to understand why Keiko was confused. She typed in the words symbiotic relationships and immediately got several hits. Clicking on the link to the internet's unofficial encyclopedia, Wikipedia, she immediately brushed up on the subject. Hmm, a close and often long-term interaction between different biological. She mumbled, taking a sip of her latte. What the heck? A symbiotic relationship can include associations where one organism lives on another or where one partner lives inside the other. That's just plain nasty. Brooke looked up from her laptop to see if anyone overheard what she said before continuing. Such as lactobacilli and other bacteria in humans. She had heard somewhere before that the human body had such a relationship with intestinal bacteria, where both organisms benefit from the relationship. But what kind of symbiotic relationship was Bartholomew Yancey talking about? Burke shook her head, now knowing why Keiko was confused. Taking another sip, she realized it was up to Keiko to figure this out. Her main concern was to get to the bottom of what Fletcher was hiding. Then it hit her. She slapped her forehead 
getting the brief attention of several people sitting close by. Mr. Anonymous mumbled. Brooke quickly connected her digital recorder to the computer via USB cable and attached it to an email directed back to Martin. She had no choice. She had to know whether Daryl Fletcher and Mr. Anonymous' voice were the same. This was something she could not wait for Keiko's approval. It would explain everything behind Fletcher's behavior. With that done, Brooke searched the internet to see what was playing at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center tonight. Today a lot of pieces were starting to come together and she was going to treat herself before Keiko threw more work her way and maybe push Daryl Fletcher a little harder tomorrow morning. Dinner at the Rockford Estate in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey was uneventful. Mrs. Rockford always enjoyed it when Mrs. Fletcher dropped by. It made her evenings more interesting since she and her husband didn't have much in common any longer. Their marriage had slowly drifted apart as Benson spent more time with the business, which seemed to happen after both their son and daughter moved out to start lives of their own. So, with the Fletcher's visit, the empty house felt somewhat alive again. After dessert was consumed, the ladies left so the men could talk about business, like they always did. Daryl followed Benson into the large den, endowed with solid cherry wood furniture. Benson sat on a small black leather sofa, while Daryl reclined in a chair close by. Benson pressed a button on the sofa's arm, and within seconds, the butler entered. Walter, make me a martini. Daryl? The same, but make mine a double. The butler walked over to the bar in the den, quickly prepared the drinks, and carefully handed them to the two. That'll be all for now, said Benson. The butler quickly left. Now, said Benson, sipping his drink. Tell me again, why in the world did you meet with this agent? Terrell increased the grip on his glass as he felt the clamminess in his hands increase. It's like I told you before. I took it upon myself to cover for you when you're away. I had no idea what the meeting was about, I swear. Yes, I find it rather curious they're taking interest in the fire and decided to interview us and some other companies, mostly affected by the loss of documents, said Benson. Playing with the olive. I mean, it was an accident. Why would the FBI get involved in this? Isn't it a local police investigation? Yeah, that's right. When I first walked into the room, I thought she was some kind of a reporter. Lady, huh? Was she young and maybe decent looking? Benson asked, smirking. Yeah, she was gorgeous, early to mid-twenties or something, said Durrell, not realizing that Benson already knew the answer. Well, there you go. If the FBI took this matter seriously, they'd send experienced investigators instead of a young Baywatch girl. Benson took another drink and carefully watched Daryl's distorted image through the glass. Daryl tried to relax as he pondered why he ever called the FBI in the first place. Yes, he was scared out of his mind, since he'd never taken part in a criminal act before. He just panicked. When he talked with the FBI on the phone, he left out all the critical information about the arsonist and all the other details about the plan. Most importantly, he left out why the fire had been started. He was just an anonymous informant, stating the fire was a deliberate act of arson. It made him feel better, and his conscience stopped nagging him until Agent C. Cole Lee showed up. He never imagined making one stupid call would bring them to his front door. Maybe he slipped up and gave them some kind of hint he wasn't aware of, but he was so sure they couldn't have figured out it was him when he used one of those disposable prepaid cell phones. No, he thought, I didn't say anything self-incriminating. Durov said Benson, breaking the silence, did she say anything of interest? Rubbing his chin, Daryl said, well, 
She did say they suspect that the fire was an act of arson. Really extraordinary, Benson said, sarcastically, before taking a sip. Look, we don't need people hearing about this. We don't need any negative press, so keep a lid on it. Yes, sir. Benson leaned toward his R&D president. You really must learn how to relax, Darrell. You're too tense. Come on. Look, that agent was just fishing for information. End of story. Gulping down his double martini, Darrell took a deep breath. Yeah, you're right, he said. Trying to convince himself as he remembered how intently the agent stared at him as he labored to answer each question. Benson called the butler again. Refill our glasses, Walter. Once the butler completed his duties and left again, Benson continued. Darrell, we go way back, don't we? Darrell nodded. We've been through a lot together and always looked out for one another, right? Yeah. Benson swallowed the drink and munched on the olive. He looked at his friend and didn't care to hide his anger. You handled yourself poorly today. First of all, taking an interview that had nothing to do with you and using my office on top of it. I've had it up to here with you doing that. I've carried you for years, helped you get a cushy job and make a name for yourself. You should be thankful for the job you have, but every moment you get, you throw yourself into some fanciful role of being CEO. Well, I'm tired of it. Today, you could brought more harm than good by meeting with this FBI girl. Fletcher turned white as a ghost as Benson continued. Take a vacation, take a couple of weeks, go visit your vacation home in Hilton Head or something. Get your mind off things. It'll do you good, he said. Okay, I'll think about it. Benson leaned closer to his friend, shaking his head. I don't think you understand. It wasn't really a suggestion. I expect you to leave for Hilton Head tomorrow morning. Fletcher felt a chill as he saw the glint in Benson's eyes. Yes, sir.